0: Hello, and welcome to Listen Closely with John D.B. I'm your host, the aforementioned John D.B. And I am beyond excited for this episode of the weekly podcast because I'm joined by a guest co-host. I was about to say a special guest co-host, and that's not to take anything away from him by not saying special guest. But it's going to be a, Well, a regular co-host, I'd like to think, on this podcast, and that is my Chris Charmello, out on the West Coast. Chris, good evening, and thank you for joining. Hello, John. My pleasure. Wow, you sound really really good. I'm not going to lie. What's that? You sound really good. I'm not going to lie. Do you have some HD uh, connection?
1: Uh, No, I've just got the good old iPhone.
0: Well, we'll see. That's what it is. I have the Android.
1: Oh, so there, there you go. That's
0: why it's better. It,
1: you got to get. You got to with with the times. That's what you the know, kids you, are doing you, today.
0: You make a better living than I. So maybe. I, <laughs> I <don't>. So <clears throat> you know, Chris, you and I have spoken of doing a podcast for quite some time, Indeed. and I think we wrestled for a while with what a what the right topic would be, and what the right theme would be, and uh, I think we're we're well, we've been friends for quite. Cra- 35 years plus. That's right, um, 35, gosh. Which is mind-blowing. And um, I think we are are backed by a few things, as we've oftentimes said. um, Nostalgia being uh, one of them. Uh, Mm -hmm. We enjoy uh, random trips down memory lane. Uh, Music, I think we have um, music that are closely aligned. And uh, I don't know what else. I mean, we're also lactose intolerant, but <clears throat> I don't think anyone <laughs> really hear a podcast on that. I mean, um, that's really
1: all you need: nostalgia, um, music, and and a little bit of you know lactose intolerance, and you've got a thirty five year friendship. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> tonight, perhaps not ironically, we are really taking a look back and a close look at a hugely successful popular album that was released 35 years ago. And tonight we focus on no jacket required by the one and only Phil Collins. You now, I know that there's probably some folks out there listening. Actually, there's probably not anyone out there listening, but <laughs> if at some point we can some followers, <clears throat> they're probably going to be thinking, well, you know, these guys in their first podcast, They go all out and they tackle Sticky Fingers by Rolling Stones. So you're talking one of the sexiest, most timeless, slinky rock albums of all time by the most badass band imaginable in the early 1970s. And then you follow it up with Phil Collins. (laughs) But here's the thing. I think people too easily and too quickly forget just how damn talented Phil Collins is and how important he was in the 1980s. And I know you're a huge fan. Am I correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean,
1: listen, Phil is, is certainly going to, some people are going to, when they hear the name Phil immediately think of cheesy soft rock. And, uh, you know, if that's what you think, fine. But, uh,
0: Phil is so much more than that. I concur. And correct me if I'm wrong. You saw him in concert, not solo, but you saw him on the seven Genesis reunion tour.
1: I did. I saw him at giant stadium. Yeah. In New Jersey. How was it? It was fantastic. I mean, you know, at that point, um, I was Oh seven. So, you know, they were getting up there in age, but they played for, I I believe over two hours. And, uh,
0: it was fantastic, yeah. Well, in preparation for this, I, I dragged out "No Jacket Required." Um, I happen to have it on vinyl, and uh, same here. And it's it's you know interesting with the orange and black color scheme. Um, <laughs> you know, my thoughts listening to it, Chris, were it's not a masterpiece necessarily, and I I don't know that I necessarily would say I love the album, but. It is undoubtedly a classic, and it's important. It's a very important album. And, and, and here's why I think, though maybe not a masterpiece, and that's just my opinion, mm-hmm. but why I think it's important. This is a, a snapshot that captures a hugely important and successful singer, songwriter, performer, just about heading into the, his creative and commercial peak. Um, or if not right in his creative and commercial peak. I mean, 1985, 1986, Phil Collins, I think. And uh, he was anywhere and everywhere as a singer, songwriter, drummer, producer. He's playing on on other people's work, he's producing other people's works. He's doing double duty in that he's playing with Genesis, and then he has this hugely successful solo career. And this album was huge. So a little bit of background before we really um, dive into our individual thoughts on it. Um, Albums recorded largely in 1984, shortly after Phil had completed producing and playing drums on Behind the Sun, which was Eric Clapton's uh, 1984 album. The big hit off of that was She's Waiting which you could tell has very heavy-handed Phil Collins drumming. Um, Phil's also on a bit of hiatus from Genesis. They had that uh, full 1983 self-titled album, uh, which I think, in my opinion, is their best album with Phil Collins fronting it. Um, What are the big ones off of that, John? That's All, Real Alien, Mama, Home by the Sea, uh, Taking It a Little Too Hard, uh, just a job to do. Fantastic. Yeah, I know i know. I'm missing one or two others, um, at least. And let's not forget, he's also riding the wave from a wildly successful single, Against All Odds. Mm. The movie comes and goes without much fanfare, despite having Jeff Bridges, James Woods, and the gorgeous Rachel Ward. Um, <laughs> But it's really not a hugely really successful movie. The song's a different story. It wins a Grammy for an Oscar. So Phil Collins can really do wrong at this point. He records and spends the rest of 1984 recording, "No Jack required." comes out. It's selling an insane amount. Of and the critical response, I' pulled a few um, reviews said that and this is this is great Collins recipe of tense vocals spiced with saucy horns and splashy electro jitterbugging often leaves little room for real feeling to squeeze through (laughs) when he slows down and lets his smoldering moodiness take over the effect is magical Mm. New York Times the album was refreshing and that Collins was adept at setting a suspenseful or menacing mood Mm. And uh, perhaps not coincidentally, it goes on to Grammy for Album of the Year, as well as a few other Grammys. So we just set up the album a little bit. And I mean, I think it's safe to say that you've probably listened to this album in some way, shape, or form, be it LP, be it in your parents' car when you were eight years old. Um, see, you've probably listened to the album a thousand times. I think it's safe to say. The, uh, yeah, my, my mom, I believe,
1: had the. Uh... Had the disc, which I ended up basically stealing at some point. And I think I still have it somewhere in my apartment here.
0: And this is it. so she had the CD. The CD, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. you know, so we- that was probably the original pressing of the
1: CD. I'm
0: sorry, I couldn't hear you there. That was probably the original pressing, the original um, release of the CD. Yeah,
1: oh, yeah. I think this was, you know, she probably got it right in 85. In and, um, you know, with Phil's disembodied head uh, floating on the <laughs> on the cover there. Of course, so she yeah, but she she played that all the time. You know, in the car, at home, wherever um, for for a few years. I mean, it, it wasn't just come and go in '85.
0: I think the album had a long shelf life. When you look the the singles that released on the album, um, you know, all there's I think four of them are released as singles, Susudio, One More Night, uh, Inside Out, and Take Me Home. And so that right there, four singles released over the course of, what do we figure, at least 12 to 18 months, that gives the album really cause to be put on repeat over the course of a couple of years, if you know what I mean. Right, sure. Now, knowing the album as you do, we break things down by you know, the, the weak moments or the sleeper moments or the peak. Um, I'd be curious to know, I mean, obviously you, you have a strong affinity and a strong connection to this album, understandably so. Um, is there a moment on the album, sort of the nadir, uh, a, a, a track that doesn't really do it for you, or just something about the album in general that really just, never quite sat with you yeah you
1: know i think um if i had to pick one track not that it's a terrible song or anything but um i think i would go with only you and i know um it <clears throat> doesn't really do a lot for me it's fine it fits with the album but um it kind of i think pales into a lot of the other big powerful hits on the album um you know, my general comment about the album, I think it's a great album. I, I, I don't think it's by any means perfect. Um, not in the way that Sticky Fingers, which you did last week, is right. perfect, um, unassailable. I I think with, with No Jacket Required, I have a little trouble with the order of the songs. Absolutely. Um, I don't really feel that it's cohesive. It, it doesn't necessarily take you on a journey. Um, it feels more like a collection of songs, kind of popped together. I think the beginning and the end uh, do do have more of a sense of purpose, but there's a lot in the middle that's just kind
0: of mashed up. I couldn't agree more. I I, I do one thing I do really like is the end uh, that he closes outside to with "Take Me Home." Yeah, uh, and there's a "Take Me Home." I think it's a classic example of a song that, on the surface, is very upbeat but um, it's really, you know, kind of a sad song. Oh yeah. God.
1: Um, you know, take me home. I, listening to this, I was, I was trying to think you would ask me before my favorite track on this is. Oh, we haven't gotten there yet. Oh, we, okay. Well, I, you take hold- me home's in the running, but well, I'll hold on to that. <laughs> but so- I do agree that take, take me home <clears throat> is a great way to end it. And I think Sue Studio is- Nice way to start it, as ridiculous of a song as that is. Yeah. Uh, I never like that. But it's a great way to start it. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's the classic kind of upbeat, uh, just getting you up and out of your chair. You know, kickstart the album off.
0: Here, here's for me the 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 weakness of the album, and I, a lot of it stems from what you said. One being only you and I know. Just I, I feel like the album doesn't get enough momentum by having that being the second track. Um, mm. I also feel that classic albums, what really makes them classics are not the hits. What makes a classic album a really bonafide classic would be the deep cuts. Uh, you know, I spoke last week of uh, Sticky Fingers. And when you look at the that album and you think to yourself, Christ, I mean, the deep cuts are, I Got the Blues, Sway, and Moonlight Mile." I mean, that's just it, it's mind blowing. My thing with No Jacket Required, it has the three or four huge commercial hits. Um, I don't feel particularly wowed with the deep cuts, uh, with maybe one, possibly two exceptions, which I'll get to. Um, mm-hmm. but I feel like only you and I know I don't want to know who say I who said I would, uh aren't really they don't really do a lot. Of so I think that kind of holds the album back a little bit and forces the listener to really rely on the hits.
1: I'd agree. Those three songs you mentioned, um, I will sometimes get those three mixed up. Uh, they all sort of feel like generic filler a little bit. Absolutely.
0: Let's, um, let's move on to the sleeper moment. You know, is there a moment in the album that um, surprises you uh, either on occasion or fairly regularly. It's it's not something that most people would think is being uh, a great moment in the album, but it something about it resonates with you.
1: Yeah, I think for me, it's a moment that, in terms of the song, is a real high watermark for the album. Um, not a very well-known song, I don't think, but it, it's also the placement of it, I feel like, is symbolic of the weakness of the album that we talked about and that's a long long way to go
0: um it's a fantastic you took the song. words right. oh, yeah i i think it's, it's arguably the one of the if not the best song on the album
1: absolutely it it hits you in the gut it is dark it is uh, one of the reviews that you read i think used the word menacing I, that's where the menacing <laughs> comes from It's that song <laughs> Um, it was in an episode of Miami Vice, right? Is it that, was am I season,
0: that right? Uh, season two, Miami Vice. Yes.
1: Yeah. in a very dark moment. Um, very. Fantastic song. But coming in between only you and I know, and I don't want to know. It, it's very strange. <laughs> it's very it strange. Is, it's,
0: I almost feel as though they could have put it to close outside one, especially how the song just abruptly ends.
1: Yeah, I could see that, or, or at least towards the end, as you know, you're know, you kind of progressing in the album where you're uh, just getting a little deeper into things. Um, you know, the way it is that the first few songs, and a lot of songs on this track, Phil, in some of Genesis' more poppy stuff, to me always has this feeling of, it's like an 80s movie where the young kid moves to the big city and is like trying to make his way. <laughs> You know, and it's like montage music of him you absolutely know, like, getting the coffee for the boss and like, you know, nearly tripping and spilling it and <laughs> that kind of stuff. And then in the middle of it, you throw in long, long way to go. And it, it would it just it just it's a dagger to the heart uh, and it feels out of place. But that being said, in, incredible song
0: incredible song featuring sting actually yes um yes and their harmonies in the song on the in the refrain are just out of this world um what's the what's the zenith of the album what's the best moment The, the the mountaintop the peak for you
1: uh for me i really like the end um I think closing it out with "Take Me Home," you know, as you said, it it has sort of this upbeat, energetic feel to it, but it's a really, it's a really emotional, deep, and in some ways dark song. Uh, so I, I always like that. I, I think ending it with that, you know, it doesn't it doesn't let you off the hook easy. Um, in, in some parts of this album, it is kind of happy-go-lucky, but that that really is a a bit of a gut punch at the end if you really listen to it. Agreed.
0: You know, but it's it's interesting because if I'm if memory's serving me correct now, it, it is a gut punch. But do you remember the music video? And isn't he just posing in front of like various monuments around the world? As you say, see. look at me, I'm Phil Collins, I'm traveling the goddamn world.
1: <laughs> well, I or, you think,
0: know. and I Phil in the back of a
1: truck, like pulling away at the end. Is that right? You you may be right. Now I have to go. <laughs> watch.
0: So it's hard to feel bad for him, I think. Um, no. but I, I, although that's not my, my zenith of the album, I agree that it very well could be um, for me. And this is going to be crazy, um, because it's such an overplayed commercial moment. Uh, I really think the album's best moment is one more night. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've heard this song. More times than I care to throughout my life. Um, but it has an element of being a classic torch song. And by that, I feel like had it been written 20 or 30 years earlier, it would have been considered a standard. It would have been part of the Great American Songbook, although it was written by a Brit. Uh, it's something that Sinatra would have recorded. If it came out in 1965 instead of 1985. And imagine, if you will, for one minute, I mean, Sinatra was still actively recording in the mid 80s. Imagine if Old Blue Eye did a cover of One More Night. Think about that for a minute. That would be incredible. Yeah. It would have been amazing. It's not unlike thematically, it's not unlike uh, the very famous Sinatra song, One More for My Baby, One More for the Road. Um, it's got that boozy late night, as I said earlier, uh, torch song quality to it, and uh, I really feel it's a very tender ballad. And I just think it's one that it's that's held up incredibly well, despite the fact that it's been so overplayed. And here's another thing to consider: you know, when you think of great popular ballads in the '70s, '80s, '90s, they've almost all been remade uh, by someone. I can't think of a single version of, of, of a single remake of one more night. I don't think anyone's even bothered to try.
1: I, I can't either. I, you know, and that for me, it came down to take me home or one more night. Um, incredible song. I totally agree with you on that. I, I probably didn't pick it because probably just because I've heard, well, <laughs> I wasn't sure what you picked. I thought you might go a long, long way to go.
0: Um, it was a toss up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think because I've, I've heard it so much more, like you said, you know, you can get a little bit uh, numb to it, but man, I think that's an example too of, you know, I, I wouldn't consider Phil to be a brilliant lyricist by any means. And he writes his own stuff, right? The studio is pretty deep. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think one more night, you know, does get into where just some of his kind of simple Lyrics can be so powerful. I, I've been sitting here so long, wasting, staring at the phone, and I was wondering should I call you. Then I thought, maybe you're not alone. It's, you know, we, we've all been there. Yeah. More times than I care to mention. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's really totally just to the yeah. It's just it's simple, but it's beautiful and
0: uh, really poignant. And that's where the whole Sinatra thing comes into it. I really could have imagined Sinatra. No. Um, just doing a very gravelly, you know, late in his career, um, you know, slightly off pitch, uh, off key um, version, I think. And I think it would have been powerful in its own way. I mean, hell, he covered um, Eric Carmen's Never Going to Fall in Love Again, for oh, crying out loud. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I and mean, he didn't do a great job with it, but I think he could have done interesting things with One More Night. Uh, I'm curious to know uh, in looking at the album as a whole, how well do you feel that it captures the sort of zeitgeist of the era? And, and, you know, do you feel that it had a strong impact culturally on, on music and just culture in general in the mid 1980s?
1: Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I think it is the epitome of 1985, um, <laughs> especially for middle to upper middle-class white people. Um, Absolutely. I mean, suburbia in the 1980s that, yeah, and and I do feel like that's one of the things that is so great about the album, but it's also a, a bit of a drawback. You know, whereas, like with Sticky Fingers last week, you could have listened to that album at any point. I think from 1971 until today, and it would hold up. There's a lot of moments in this that I think I still like almost all the songs here, but I don't know if they they certainly don't. St- Stand the test of time, especially the deeper cuts, the way that something like Sticky
0: Fingers does. But we can agree, like you said, best uh, it it perfectly sums up 1985. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Without a doubt, it like I said at the at the onset of this, it's a snapshot. I think of of that era, and you know, in my opinion, I think it it so incredibly well captures that the sort of zeitgeist and the. the the vibe of 1985. I mean, there's synthesizers, there's drum beats, not just long, long way to go, but also, um, take me home. And I want to say one other song appear during season two of Miami vice, as does Phil Collins have a guest role in season two of Miami vice. I mean, it's 1985. (laughs) Fucking Collins. Need I say any more? Um, you know, a very interesting thing too. uh, which was rather groundbreaking at the time. Phil was a big advocate for the Roland TR-808, which is a drum machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, he used it most famously on on the Face Value album in the air tonight, of course. So, you know, early on uh, there's synthesizer and you hear the TR-808 in the background. And uh, various artists were using it in a lot of dancey techno songs in the early 80s. Uh, real upbeat stuff and Phil of course used it in some harder rock songs no one had used the TR-808 in a ballad until Phil Collins um, decided to put it in One More Night hmm. and that was considered revolutionary at the time and it got me thinking uh, who else might have copied that and there was a a song that came out of the United Kingdom about one year later another wildly successful ballad um, which uses the role in TR-808. And uh, I don't suppose you can take a guess at what it is. Oh, man. So this is 86 we're talking about? 86, a very popular ballad. Uh, is sort of a one-hit wonder stateside, but he had a series of, uh, of hits uh, overseas. Um, I, I'll give you a hint. It has... <clears throat> the title of the song has a color in it. Is this Chris DeBerg? This is Krista Berg, The Lady, Lady in red. red. Wow. Okay. Think about the beginning and you hear the Roland TR-808, perhaps inspired by Phil Collins. Uh, you know, another interesting fact, because <clears throat> Phil could do no wrong in the mid-80s, uh, he gets invited to Prince Charles' 40th birthday party. And um, there's a piano there. So, of course, the anticipation is he's going to play a song. Uh, halfway through the party, they invite him to get up and, and sing one song. Now, you Phil Collins. You got a string of hits he could have done against all odds. He could have done a piano version of In the Air Tonight. Um, it's no secret that at this point in time, Prince Charles and Lady Di, their marriage is a little shaky. What's the one song Phil Collins probably shouldn't sing off of <laughs> No Jacket. Request?
1: Oh, wow. He did it. One what if, more. One more okay, what did he say? One More Night? No. No? No. Oh, doesn't anybody stay together anymore? Exactly. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> now, <coughs> incredible, right? That's amazing. Wow. Inevitably, and you know, we have a couple minutes left here. Yeah. Um, I mean, you grew up with this album, as I did. I think you even more so Talking about your mother playing in the car. My mother was too busy playing Julio Iglesias cassettes. And occasionally Billy Ocean. There's something to be said uh, for them I'm not that. making that up. <laughs> That's something to be said. Yeah. We're not going to um, a Billy Ocean episode <laughs> on here. <laughs> oh, you know, but um, <clears throat> is there a moment or two, either in your lifetime where a certain song from this album sticks out, or a moment in in a pop culture reference or a film where the song re- a song from this album really sort of is, is prominent and plays an important part. Yeah. I can remember as a teenager at one point, you know, so this would have been
1: early to mid nineties, um, going through some rough adolescent type stuff. And I can remember coming down to my parents' living room at night because I couldn't sleep. And I would, I would sleep on the couch, but I would bring my, it was probably my disc man at that point with, uh, with, sure. with this, with No Jacket Required, and listening to especially Inside Out, and Doesn't Anybody Stay Together Anymore, uh, Take Me Home. You know, it was odd because a lot of these are are kind of gut-wrenching love songs. And that whatever I was feeling wasn't anything to do with, with a woman at the time, but there was just something that resonated um, with those. And I think it's, you know, we talked about how this encapsulates the mid-'80s and I think one way it does is these lyrics, it, it's kind of the romanticization of pain where that's happened so much with so much of the 80s music. And this album really does it where uh, you know, even when he's singing about heartbreak, it makes you want to go through that heartbreak somehow. It it feels cool. And uh some of those nights on the couch listening to this, uh, I think you know, it just helped me get through those. Uh just that sense of of pain, uh, of looking at pain in a way where it was something to be conquered and, and something to almost be romanticized, like a, a piece of your your story rather than actual hurt?
0: That's powerful. That's deep. We have about one minute left. Um, I have the recent experience about six weeks ago, a little bit more, I was on a cruise ship um, in the midst of you know the early stages of the COVID nineteen paranoia, the ship was half empty, and uh, I was in the lounge, and uh, there were about eight other people in the lounge. And the Lounge Act, who are quite good, played one more night. Mm. It was my last night on board. I'm somewhere off the coast of the Bahamas, and it was beautiful. And they sandwiched one more night between Chicago's Hard to Say I'm Sorry and Lionel Richie's Say You Say oh my Me. God. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was very uh, moving moment uh in a half empty in an empty lounge aboard a half empty cruise ship um at the beginning of uh, of a pandemic uh so it was it was really i didn't know how good i had it that <laughs> that's um, <almost> worst than- <laughs> my guest tonight was chris charmello the album phil collins no jack required chris thank you so much uh that is all the time we have thanks. and we'll be back soon enough thanks so much john